0: Now, not usually a topic that I prefer to bring a message about. I much usually prefer some message of encouragement and something that will um, nurture us in our Christian walk. And at the end of the day, we're going to feel good as we leave um, being gathered together. And I still hope that that would be my prayer today. But I feel um, compelled to speak on sin this morning. And if we don't talk about sin and the reality of sin nature, its destructive power and its eternal consequences, I feel that we would do a great disservice to the church. And for many, again, it is uncomfortable to call one another sinners. And unfortunately, I think that there are sometimes that there are some misconceptions that develop around sin in the church. And I find that it's increasingly difficult um, to look at believers who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and a non-believer and be able to even distinguish between the two at times simply by our outward behavior. That sometimes what we believe in our heads and adopt as our theology and methodology even perhaps sometimes doesn't align with how we are living out our faith in our life. So just from looking at people's actions and lifestyles, people who profess to be Christ, sometimes it is difficult to know, are they really believers or not? And you'll begin to see this sometimes even, um, for instance, the divorce rate between Christians and non-Christians. There's no noticeable difference, just as many Christians divorce as non-Christians. And frankly, that shouldn't be. We should have a higher standard towards marriage and be more willing to commit and work through that covenant relationship. If you look at studies on generosity, there's no noticeable difference between the amount Christians give versus the amount non-believers give. In fact, some studies would show that non-believers are actually more generous in their giving. So if you look at my life from the outside and there is no difference from the way I live my life than someone who doesn't profess Christ, at some point we have to begin to ask ourselves, is there really a difference on the inside? So what do you think the problem today is? I think that so many of us, and me including, I want to add Christ without subtracting sin. I want all the benefits that Jesus would bring in my life. I say I want revival and I want renewal, but do I really want my everyday life to be affected by my beliefs? Do I really want to make the adjustments and the requirements that it requires for me to live in um, fullness of Jesus and according to his standards. So we often want revival in our hearts without repentance in our lives. Spiritual maturity. How would you define spiritual maturity? It's not just how much we know, but how much we obey. It's not just saying, hey, I attend this Bible study and I can memorize this many verses and I've been to this training and this conference Spiritual maturity isn't how much we know up here, but it's how much we obey and how much we live out in our lives and how much difference is shown from how much we believe. So we all know this stuff, but often we don't live it out. I think that most of us have been educated way beyond our level of obedience. I know a lot more than I'm actually willing to obey. So today we're going to talk about three um, serious and common misconceptions about sin. The first misconception about sin, that you're going to hear this one actually all the time, and you'll come across people who say, I'm not a bad person. I'm really not. You know, when I look at my life, hey, I'm not that bad. By nature, I think pre- people are pretty good. And um, But guess what? You are very, very bad. <laughs> Welcome to VCVC VC today, where my goal is to make you feel bad about yourself. <laughs> actually, Scripture tells us that, um, that our sin nature, that we are born with a sin nature, that we are separated and we are bent towards sinfulness. By nature, we are sinful people. First John 1 John 1.8 actually says, and you can read it right here on your screen, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth, is not in us. Now most of you can quote 1 John 1:9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God there is 1 John 1:9, but right before 1 John 1:9 is 1 John 1:8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Bible says that there is no one that does good. We are sinful human beings. And we have to recognize that. And if we don't, we're actually in great spiritual danger. So unless we see ourselves as sinners, we will not see our need for a Savior. If we don't recognize that we are separated from God by our own sinfulness, we will not see our need for a relationship with God. So many of us feel good to say, oh, I'm not that bad of a person, and we'll turn on the evening news, and we're like, that guy who robbed that convenience store, he's a bad person, a very bad person. Oh, did you hear what she did? She's a bad person. But again, the reality is, we ourselves are very sinful. There is nothing good within us that can be reconciled apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we have the tendency to actually compare ourselves so that we can feel better about ourselves. But when we compare ourselves to a holy God, all of a sudden we realize this about ourselves. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteous acts, everything that we have done that is holy and right and pure, all of that added together, it says, are like filthy rags. Our best attempt at righteousness in the eyes of God falls incredibly short. We must not adopt the attitude, I'm not a bad person. In fact, we are very, very sinful in the eyes of God. Unless we recognize that, we are not going to see our need for Jesus. Second misconception, and this one is common, and my guess is many of us actually in this room believe this misconception. All sin is the same. Now, why do you think this misconception is so common today? I think so because this myth justifies our own sinfulness. What you will often hear is like, hey, who are you to judge me, Christian person? You're just as bad as I am or you're you're sin too. Why do you judge me? Because you're just as bad as I am. In fact, a lot of people will say, well, doesn't God say all sin is the same? In fact, he doesn't. But let me be very clear, so not to confuse you this morning. When is all sin the same? All sin that has not been forgiven is the same in that it separates us from a holy God. The punishment for sin that has not been forgiven is the same. And that's eternal separation in hell from God. All sin does separate us from God. But let me be clear that the consequences... Of our sin is not all the same, both here on earth and for eternity. The consequences are not the same. Our obedience or our disobedience actually influences three things, and you can see them here: our rewards in heaven, our punishment in hell, and our consequences on earth. First of all, our influences or it influences our rewards in heaven. If you're obedient on earth, Scripture says that we will have. Re- wards in heaven of course that's extremely good news but our sin our obedience or our disobedience also influences our punishment in hell now let me say first of all that hell is a very real place it's more horrible than we can actually imagine but scripture is clear that there are some actions that we commit against the heart of god that will lead to more severe punishment in a place called hell Third thing, our obedience or our disobedience influences our consequences on earth. There are some sins that we commit that aren't going to wreck our life as fast. There are sins that we commit on earth that are going to hurt very, very badly. So some sins, consequences aren't going to be noticed so quickly. Other sins, the consequences are going to be hard and fast. For instance, this morning, let's say I wake up late and I'm rushing to get here to church, and I'm driving over the speed limit, 20 kilometers over the speed limit, and I blaze through a red light on 9th Street. A police officer pulls me over and issues, issues me a citation, and I have to pay a fine. Chances are I'll keep my driver's license, I'll continue to drive my car, and I would continue to be able to be your pastor. Sin and its consequences, pay a fine, I get over it. However, let's say one morning I wake up and I get a wild hair and I decided, hmm, VCBC has a lot of money in the bank. I'm going to go rob it. I'm going to go take the offering from this Sunday morning and I'm going to go to Las Vegas and gamble it all away. Uncle Philip, where is Uncle Philip? I don't see him today. He finds out about it. I get into big trouble. He reports me there perhaps is a lawsuit. Big consequences. I'm not going to be your pastor come next Sunday if I've done that sin, both sin, but vastly different consequences on that. Let's look at some scriptures that um, give some examples of this. From Luke 12, 47 and 48, Jesus said, The servant who knows his master's will and does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. In other words, if you know the right thing to do and don't do it, there's a severe punishment. It goes on to say, The one who does not know and does the things deserving punishment will be beaten with how many blows? Few blows. Different levels of punishment. Luke 20, Jesus said, Beware of the teachers of the religious law, for they love to parade in flowing robes and have everyone bow down to them as they walk in the marketplace. But Jesus said, They shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. Because of this, Jesus said, their punishment will be what? The punishment will be greater. They have an outward view of being very religious. Hey, look at me. Look at my fancy robe. And I'm bowing down and I am so holy. But inwardly, they are hypocrites. And so Jesus says their punishment will be greater. So you can see from these examples from God's word that there are different levels of punishment and different consequences for sin. So misconception one, I'm not a bad person. Number two, all sin is the same. And remember, all sin that has not been forgiven is the same in that it separates us from God, but not all the consequences for our sin is the same. And the third misconception That's played out almost every day in our lives is the myth that says, I've already sinned, so I might as well continue in it. It goes something like this. Well, shoot, I've already blown it. So mm, cross that line once. What's the difference? You know, I'm just going to keep going in it. And I play this out in my mind often. You know, it's like, oh, I already blew it. But oh, but uh, it gets a little easier to cross that line on and on, and we begin to rationalize and, and um, get more comfortable with it. It's progressive. So where will you see this? Let me give you a few examples. Let's say in dating relationships, that maybe two young people had decided early on that they're going to remain sexually pure before marriage. And they make that commitment until the day that they meet another person, and they are attracted to them, and they begin to express that attraction sexually and in physical relationship. They've broken that commitment that they made, and they sinned, and they stepped over that line. And oftentimes what you see is continuing in a pattern of that, not ever being able to pull back and say, I have sinned, and that grieves the heart of God, and I'm going to stop that. Continued in sin once, we'll keep going. Another example is cheating. For adults, that might be fudging on your income tax. For students, cheating in school. I had maybe made a commitment like, oh, I'm going to do my own work, and I'm going to study hard and prepare hard, and whatever the consequences of that are, I'm going to take it on myself. But one day, I didn't study so hard. I'm not that well prepared. It's exam time. "Mm, My neighbor hasn't covered his paper. Easy to jot down the answer or to steal someone else's assignment and um, take that on as your own. Then it becomes easier. Oh, I got away with it that time again and again and again. Or maybe the Internet. We all know that we're not supposed to look lustfully at something. And yet you open up an Internet page and like, boom, there it is. And it's just so easy to become more and more progress- progressive in that. Sin is progressive. It is dangerous. It is luring. So the misconception that I've already sinned, I might as well continue in it, is a very dangerous um, mindset to adopt. Second Peter 2.20 says, if you have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, you've already met the freedom in Christ. And you are again entangled in it. And then you are overcome. Scripture says you are worse off at the end than you were at the beginning. You know the life and the power and the forgiveness of Jesus. But you step back into the destructive power of sin. It says that you will be worse off now than you were before that's why i believe that this next principle is true the most miserable people in the world are not non-christians but instead christians living in sin some of you actually right now know this the most miserable people in the room right now are not those who are non-believers but those of us who profess that we are believers in jesus christ but we are living in sin We decide to step back into the destructive power of sin and we are miserable and we know it and we ache because everyone else around us assumes that we are okay but we know that we are ensnared or entrapped or caught in this pattern that becomes difficult for us to break so why is sin so destructive i've already referenced this it's destructive because it's progressive in nature it may seem so small and so inconsequential At the moment that we cross that line, but then it grows and grows. It kills. Fulfilling the message of the evil one whose very purpose, people, is to come and to kill, steal, and destroy everything that is precious to God. That is his motive. And so when we play into these hands of these misconceptions, we have played straight into the hand of the evil one whose very purpose is to ensnare us and to trip us up i'm going to give you this illustration by one of my favorite sweaters this seems really hot today but on most given vancouver day this is like one of my go-to sweaters okay now this sweater has been in and out of the get rid of pile do you guys have any of those piles that you're like oh this is giveaway and then you why do we do this i will always sort through it again Right before I take it for its donation or to the garbage or repurposing it, and I'll pull that one thing out again thinking, oh, it's my favorite sweater. But probably what you can't see from where you are, maybe if I hold it up, you see these holes in it and there's some runs in it. And I think to myself, this sweater has a stripe in it. It's a pattern. So maybe people's eyes will be tricked. And they won't see the holes or the runs in it. And so I keep grabbing back to have it. And I have attempted to take out my sewing kit and to repair it. So here's one here in the back. I've got a little mend space on it. But right above where I mended it, another run started. So, you know, I can stick my fingers through this sweater plenty of places, okay? Lots of little things up here at the front, right here. So... I find that, and you know, yarn, Sandra, right? Yarn runs, unravels. She's a great um, knitter. And so you start to pull on that little thread that's loose. And anyone ever happened to that? And you're like, oh man, how am I going to stop this run from happening? Sin is like that, it is progressive. And I think in my little brain that I can manage this and I can repair the little holes that to me are so small and insignificant, and maybe you won't know it because of all this other pastor title that I have or my little cheery disposition that I show up on Sunday and make you think everything's going okay, and yet I have unfinished, unconfessed sin ripping me up at the inside, and I think, oh, I'll just repair it, and I'll keep pulling it out of the giveaway bag and putting it on again and wearing it around like everything's okay, and it is not. Sin is progressive, and it will eat us up. And we cannot just put little patches on our lives expecting that and hoping nobody's going to notice. Scripture says in James 1:14 and 15, Each one of us is tempted, is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away, enticed I love this word picture in James so try to visualize this when it says each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed hey doesn't this look good dragged away and it makes it look all great to do that get involved in that or repeat that one more time we're dragged away and enticed then after the desire is completed I want that I need to act on that I've got to cheat in order to get that grade Um, When desire has conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. It pulls us across. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. That is the end game right there, people, of sin. We think it is the pathway to life. At the end, it gives birth to death. Pretty serious consequence of something we think is so alluring and enticing and desirous it gives birth to death revelation 319 the scripture right below that says those whom i love i rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent this is the pathway out of these misconceptions so be earnest and repent this is a I believe Pastor Tom preached recently um, one of these letters to the church from Revelation. Um, A church probably not unlike us today. We looked very religious and we had all these material things. But scripture says that they were lukewarm. This is the church where he's saying, I want to spew you out of my mouth because you were lukewarm. And he says to to them, I love you. And so I'm going to rebuke you and discipline you. Parents, you know this truth. Um, I couldn't understand, couldn't fathom why my parents would discipline and rebuke me as a kid. As an adult, I get it. If you love someone, you discipline and rebuke them. And and the charge here or the, um, the wooing piece here, he says, I love you. It is done out of love. It is not done out of I'm going to make you feel miserable and hate your life. He's saying, I love you, and so I'm going to discipline you. And here's the path out. So be earnest and repent. What are we to do? It says we are to re. The prefix re. Repent. Re means just to go back to. And pent. What's a penthouse of a building? Anyone? It's the top floor, right? It's usually the ooh-la-la of an apartment building or um, a hotel suite. It's the penthouse. And so we are to return back to the top. We are to return from the, the evil things that are tripping us up and holding us back. And we are, to return, we are to return from those and go back up to the higher ways of God. We are to repent. People often say about believers that we're just a bunch of hypocrites. That we, do one, we say one thing and yet we do another Again, we want to add Christ without subtracting sin. And if we really want to experience the freedom of Christ, we have to choose not to live in the pattern of sin. And again, if there's no noticeable difference from the outside of my life than, say, from a non-believer, at some point you have to ask the question, is the reality of Christ's presence abiding in me on the inside? So let me ask us, when was the last time that our heart was so broken because we had sinned against God? When was the last time that you worshipped and you were unable to stop because of God's abounding grace and mercy over your life? And that you realized that God's grace was greater than any of your sin. Sin is not a game and it is not a joke. It's not something to avoid. It's something for us to address. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward now. And as we close out, I want to invite us to take some inventory and just to create some space this morning for you to get with God and to ask some questions to allow God to deal with some of the sin in our lives. Here's what I'd like for us to do for you to bow, for us to bow our heads. I'll I'll bow my heart here as I'm leading you in this. And I want us to spend some time in quiet reflection. And I'd ask you in your own mind right now to give a name to the dominant sin that arises. It may be pride or greed or rebellion or love. It may be anger. It may be a lack of forgiveness or a rebellious heart or a critical attitude or it could be a desire to control. Take a few moments and ask God to bring forward the dominant sin in your life.